Well, hey guys, we've been in this series uh, called Nine to Forever, and we've been exploring something that all of us in here have to do. In fact, it's something that really we spend the majority of our life uh, doing, and that is work. And we've been discovering what God has to say for has to say about things like our jobs, um, our paychecks, our days off, and even more um, than that. So tonight, we're really going to focus in on a core question that all of us in here have to answer, and that is, what is my purpose? What is my purpose in life? What did God put me here on this planet for? Or maybe you've asked it in different ways and you've thought, well, like, what is my job supposed to be? What career field am I supposed to be in? How can I make a difference in the world? Where should I go to work? What company is it? What is it? And I can imagine, or I can remember, I should say, really the first time I had to deal uh, with this question of, man, what is my purpose here on earth? And I can remember distinctly, I was in the sixth grade, um, because every sixth grader is pondering what their purpose in life is. Um, so I remember uh, this question came about because uh, we were in um, the computer lab, and uh, we were going through like this career building exercise that you know the public school system puts you through, and they make you start thinking about what college you want to go to, and or if you should go to college at all, basically what you should do after school. So, you know, again, this is great because I'm in sixth grade. And, um, you know, I can remember uh, the teacher asking us, hey, like, what, um, what do you want to be when you grow up? Because whatever you want to be when you grow up, that's kind of the first thing to start. And you kind of plan your steps to get to that goal. And I remember thinking, well, I don't know what I want to be when I grow up. And they were like, great. I want you to take this career test online. So uh, me and this other guy named Jamie were sitting side by side. We're taking this career test. And he was a little faster than me. And uh, I remember he got an answer. Like he took the test. It spit out the answer, you know, like your top five careers. And his number one thing was landscape technician. Um, so he asked our teacher, who was also um, coincidentally the basketball coach uh, at our school. And you guys know, like I grew up in like redneck Georgia. And he's like, you know, what's landscape technician? And I remember the coach looked at him and went, Jamie. That means you're going to mow grass, son. That's what that is. And, like, he was kind of bummed about that, you know, um, until he realized, like, man, like, some landscape people make, like, $55 an hour. So he got a little more excited uh, about that. But I remember, like, I'm, you know, working on my career test, and I get my results back, and I got, um, I remember my top two things was, like, financial analyst or credit analyst, which is hilarious because, like, I'm so bad at math, guys. Like, I'm horrible. Like when I got in high school, I was in like remedial math. I was in support math. Like I had like an assigned math tutor to try to help me and it didn't make any difference. Like I'm still awful at it. Literally about 30 minutes before you guys got here, I was struggling to add six and seven together. I was like six plus seven, I think is 12. And someone's like, no, like that's 13 dog. And I was like, you know, we were close though. You know, we were close. Uh, and I remember my second thing I got was uh, entrepreneur, which I was like, sounds kind of like manure. So I thought it had something to do with like farming because, again, I'm in sixth grade. Um, but needless to say, like, I did not get pastor and I did not get Bible teacher and I did not get anything close to that. And what's crazy is my experiences about trying to figure out what we should be when we grow up didn't end there. I can remember being uh, in college and I would run into people, you know, in their third, fourth year of school being like, man, I'm still trying to figure out what I want to be when I grow up. I remember um, when I was in grad school talking to people who were in medical school. So they're like, you know, in year six, seven of higher education. And they're like, I still don't really know if I want to do this. 
and I'm like, whoa, like you're in so much debt and you don't know if you want to do this or not. And I, I think the thing is, is like we all struggle with that. I can remember having a conversation uh, even with another guy who lived on the same hall as me, and he was like a computer science wizard. Like, this guy was so smart when it came to computer science, but he was like, man, I just, I don't know if I should do this or not. And I was like, man, you're so good at it. Like, you don't even have to try. Everyone else has to study so hard, and you just ace all of your exams, and you build all this stuff in your free time so much faster. And he's like, yeah, but is that really going to do anything for God? Like, I'm not a pastor. I'm not a missionary. Like, I'm not going to be in anybody's, um, you know, church pulpit or anything like that. And he's like, I just don't understand how helping someone's computer be secure is expanding the kingdom of God. And maybe you felt that way. Maybe, like, you've looked at your job as lesser because it's not spiritual. Maybe you thought that God doesn't really care about what you do, so you just kind of go in and you clock in and out. Maybe you've fallen into the most common phrase that we heard when we were growing up, which is, follow your dreams, because if you put your mind to it, and you can do whatever it is that you want to do, you can be whatever it is you want to be if you work hard enough. And the problem with that is, is it's just not true. Because the first part problem with that is it makes life all about you. That if you just work hard enough that you can be whatever it is that you want to be. And that creates a tremendous amount of pressure on you that you can't sustain. And the second problem with that is, is it's not true. You cannot be whoever you want to be, even if you try really hard, guys. Like I said, I will never be a financial analyst because the mere thought of a Microsoft Excel sheet gives me anxiety. Like, I start thinking about Microsoft Excel, and my Apple Watch starts going off. It's like blood pressure rising, blood pressure rising. I'll never be that, guys. Uh, you know, one time, Ashley told me she wanted to play in the NBA. And I was like, you're never going to do that, girl. Like, you're 5'5". Five, five. You got two blown-out knees. You're never going to be able to stop LeBron driving the lane. Like, it doesn't matter how hard you work. It doesn't matter how hard you try. Like, you're not going to be able to do these things. And guys, instead of working ourselves to death, pursuing things that we can't be, maybe we should take a step back and embrace who God made us to be. Embrace our giftings as well as the limitations he puts on our life. So my hope tonight is that you leave here with a better understanding of God's purpose for the human race. And maybe when we understand that, you can begin to find your place in that big story. So let's pray and let's ask God to help us. Lord, we thank you so much, God, for this opportunity. God, to gather here, to worship you, to learn from your word. God, I know some of us came in here, and Lord, we're really wrestling with this. What's my purpose in life, God? Why did you place me here? What am I supposed to do? Lord, I pray tonight that we'll find peace. We'll find comfort. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit, God, would just speak to us in a new and fresh way. God, in ways that we are hurt, I pray that you will heal. In ways that we're broken, I pray that you will repair. I pray that whatever, God, that we need to just set aside for the next 20 or so minutes to hear from you, God, that we would. Lord, would you just prepare our hearts and our minds to hear from you? God, I pray that I would step out of the way and that you would step in for me, God. We don't need to hear from David tonight. We need to hear from you. God, we love you and praise you. We ask this in the power of Christ's name.
Amen. All right, I want you guys to flip or tap your way over to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. If you don't have your copy of God's Word, you can always follow along on screen. You guys that are watching online, it'll appear on screen for you guys as well. But we're going to study, guys, through these first 10 verses. Uh, and we're going to try to explain some odd words uh, in here that are kind of odd to us as we go. And then we're going to kind of look at three things at the end that we need to understand when it comes to our purpose, our jobs, and our careers, and what we're really supposed to be doing here uh, in this life. So again, Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 1. Uh, it says, as for you, you were dead and your transgressions and sins. Now we see the words transgressions and sins in scripture and we often think, oh, that's just uh, the same word. It just means stuff that's bad. But the word transgression uh, in scripture, think about it, it means like a breach of contract. So if you had a contract with someone or you had an agreement with someone um, and you, you know, uh, went outside that contract or you went behind their back and you did something that you agreed that you weren't going to do or you didn't do something that you agreed that you would do, that's a breach of contract, a transgression. Some of you guys, if you read like New King James or Older King James, it probably translates it trespasses. So think about like a transgression is like trespassing on property that you said that you wouldn't go on. It's going over a line that you agreed you would not cross. Uh, and sin is a failure to reach a goal. It's a failure to hit a target. It literally comes from an old English term for archery. So whenever an archer uh, would draw his arrow back, take a shot, if he failed to hit the bullseye, if he failed to hit it perfectly right in the middle, that was called a sin because he deviated from the target. Sin in scripture is us falling short of the things that God has called us to do. Um, and the result of our transgressions, our breaching of contract, our, 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 our uh, sins, our failure to fall uh, short, these result in us not being biologically alive. Our hearts are still beating, but we are spiritually dead. That's what Paul means when he says that you are dead in your transgressions and sins, that even though your breath is still entering your lungs, even though you're still alive, you are spiritually dead, which means you're unable to attain true purpose in life, that you are unable to reach the true potential of what you're capable of doing because sin is a weight that is holding you back from that. Now, let's look how this unfolds over the next few verses. Verse 2, he goes on. He says, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air. That's really weird. The spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh, following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. So that first thing that Paul says in there that's kind of weird to us is, is he talks about the ruler of the kingdom of air. And that's really la weird language for me and you. Like we don't say things normally like that in conversation. So guys, just humor me for a second. I want everyone to kind of like take their hands and just do this. All right, you guys feel that air between your fingers when you do that? That is literally the air that Paul is talking about in this passage. He is literally talking about the reality that is around you, the very air that surrounds your body, that surrounds all the circumstances you're in. He's saying that there is another ruler of this reality that we live in. And he's talking about Satan. He's talking about there is another power that is against you. 
There is a power that is trying to drag you into transgression, that's trying to drag you into sin. And it's this evil force that drives us to selfishness. And at one point in all of our lives, we all lived in a way that selfishness was our ultimate goal. And when selfishness is your ultimate goal, your life ultimately becomes purposeless. And the result is that we fail to do what we were created to do, that you fail to do what you were designed to do, that you never reach the potential of why you were placed here, which is to represent God, is to represent Christ. And that's what we're going to go on to see. In verse 4, Paul says, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, it is by grace that you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated with him, seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. So God makes us alive. He brings us out of death. He breathes new life into you and not just new life, a new vision for how to live life. That anyone can come to God because he is rich in love and that he is merciful regardless of what you've done, regardless of your background, regardless of where you've came from or the things you've said or you've done, that everyone has access to this new life and this new way of living life. And then in verse 6, we get this thing that feels, again, really odd to us because he starts talking about heavenly realms. So listen, Think about it like this. Whenever you see the word heaven in scripture, you think about heavenly realm, like that's God's space. God resides in heaven. That is the area that is his space, God's space. So since the very first Easter, since Jesus rose from the grave, Christians have been rejoined with God. We've been rejoined in his space where he reigns from where God rules the universe from so we can rejoin him in our original purpose of reigning over creation through representing him. And if you missed last week, like you need to go back and listen to that because we unpacked all that from Genesis 1 through 3. So that'll make so much more sense if you can go back and stream that. So uh, let's keep moving. In verse 7, he says, In order that in the coming ages, so in the, all of the years that are coming, all the things that are going to come, so in order the coming ages, he might show us the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by work so that no one can boast. So again, this is not anything that humans have done. It's not anything we can earn. We can't go to enough church services. We can't memorize enough Bible verses. It's not anything that we've done. It is all from Christ. It is all a free gift to you and I. And then verse 10, the best part. For we are God's handiwork. So Paul's tying everything he just said in the first nine verses. Why did God do this? Why did Jesus do this? Why did they do this all together? For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. That first word right there, handiwork, some of you guys' Bible might say workmanship, for we are God's workmanship. The word for this in the original Greek is poema. It's where we get our word for poem or our word for poetry. 
what Paul is saying is God's crowning achievement, the thing that is at the very top of all of God's creation, is you and me, it's humanity, it's everything, it's all of these things. We are God's masterpiece. God looks at humanity like it, we are his Sistine Chapel, we are his Mona Lisa, we are his Beethoven Symphony, the very, very top with the most important job out of the rest of creation. Humanity has the most important job, and it is to do good works, to allow God to reign over the creation through us representing him, our purpose. What we were placed here to do has always been that the people who have the spirit of the living God can go into the world and allow the Spirit to flow out of us, to allow living water to flow out of us and water a dead ground so that fresh life can come and spring forth and it can flourish there. That's always been our purpose. I just want to ask, do you really believe that? Do you believe you have a greater purpose than just clocking in and out of your job and collecting a check for the rest of your life? Because some of us in here are probably thinking like, man, I just, like, I don't know about all that stuff you're saying. Reigning over creation and God working through me and this has always been his plan and heavenly realms and creation and all stuff. Like, my job does not feel like that. Like, it doesn't feel that heroic. It doesn't feel like that. And now you're saying, like, I'm God's masterpiece. Like, have you seen my life? Do you know who I am? More like masterpiece of crap. Like, that's who I feel like. Like, some of us in here may not believe that God actually loves us. Some of us in here may not even think that God likes us. But friend, I'm telling you, like, Jesus died, shed his own blood on the cross for you because your life was worth it. So you can be united to him for what? So that God can make you brand new. So he could set you free from your past. He could set you free from the things that enslave you, the things that ensnare you. So what this does now is you don't have to worry for the rest of your life about, man, how am I going to measure up? How am I going to measure up at work? How am I going to measure up to the rest of the world? You don't have to run this never-ending, exhausting race of trying to climb the corporate ladder, trying to get better, trying to gain everyone's approval. You don't have to do that anymore because God set you free from all that. You don't have to worry about all the time trying to get the new car, trying to get the bigger house, trying to get the iPhone you know, Pro Max 12, and now it has 17 cameras on it, and now I've got it. Like You don't have to worry about that. You don't have to be enslaved by those things anymore. You guys understand that? When you make materialism and the things that you can buy your God, you have to do that because you're its slave. You have to buy new stuff to feel good about yourself. And Jesus is saying, I'm offering you a way out. I'm offering you freedom from that. I'm offering you value that you can't buy in a store, that you can't get from offline. You don't have to worry constantly about people using you. You don't have to worry about using other people and stepping on other people to try to get ahead. No, through Jesus, you have been made brand new. So now you don't have to be oppressed by the past. You don't have to worry about other people's opinions. But instead, you can enjoy people for who they are. You can enjoy people for who God made them to be. You can enjoy the things that God gives us as gifts 
without worshiping the gift itself. Friend, I'm telling you, Jesus came to set the captives free. Be free. That's your first and foremost purpose, is to be free. That's your calling. That's why you're here. So that just leads us to the first thing. You were made to be the church. You were made to be the church. The work of the church, guys, is making disciples. Making disciples. Disciples make culture. They create a Christ-centered environment where people can come into our lives. They can eat at our tables. They can share meals with us. And they can experience the joy of the Lord through us showing them loving kindness. The same merciful loving kindness that Jesus showed to us, we show to other people in real, tangible ways. And then people will begin to ask us, who is this God that you believe in? Because that's different than what I've heard other people who say they're Christians say they believe. That's what you were made for, guys. That is how you worship God. Worship is not just something that is done in a worship center. Like, worship center is kind of an oxymoron. Because the center of worship in your life cannot be condensed. It cannot be melted down to just one hour a week on a Sunday morning where we come in and we sing some songs and we listen to some Bible preaching and we go home. My goodness, is there anything more boring or unexciting than that? If that's all God wants us to do, if that's all God is challenging us to do, I'm not sure that that's the same God of the Bible if you think that's who's, who God is. God doesn't want you to just go to church. God wants you to be the church. He wants you to worship him with your life, with every piece of it, with every part of it. Not just when you're at a Bible study. Not just when you're here on Tuesday. Not just when you're here on Sunday. God wants every piece. He wants every part. And God wants to work in every piece and every part of your life. He wants to work in the mundane things that you do at work, whether you're checking emails, you're turning wrenches, or you're answering phones. God cares about all of that stuff. And God is working and expanding his kingdom through all of that stuff. Those are all things that can be a way of worship. Worship is not just whenever we sing songs. It's when we do these things well. It's when we represent God well. It's doing things in a way that honors God because, listen, I get it. Like some of you guys, you might really have a sucky boss. Like you might work in some not fun places. You might have a terrible boss, but I'm telling you, you have an amazing king. People who are believers, they see their whole life as worship to God. They see their whole life as an offering to him. So let's stop saying, hey, like some jobs over here are secular and some jobs over here are spiritual. And the secular jobs over here, like, you know, we just do those because we have to and it's survival. What really matters over here are spiritual jobs. Guys, all jobs matter to God. And all jobs are an opportunity to worship God. If you work in such a way that is worshipful, you know, this idea of where sacred and secular being divided are not rooted in the Bible. They're from a guy named Plato, who was a Greek philosopher who lived a long, long, long time ago. But his fingerprints are all over Western society. You can't go to any westernized country and not see his thoughts 
intertwined and intermingled somewhere. And he is the one who said, you know what? There is the physical world and the spiritual world, and they are separate. But the Bible doesn't say that. It's not in Genesis. Jesus never said it. In fact, this whole thing got so intertwined in the church, really in Europe in about the Middle Ages, and they got to the point where they shrank down the life-altering, the miracle-working, the chain-breaking, history-moving, 24-7 kingdom of God to just an hour a week on Sunday. Guys, we can't shrink God down. We can't put God in a box. Every job is spiritual because everyone's life matters to God. What you do day in and out, it matters to God, which brings us to our second point. Listen, we're all full-time ministers in here. If God made you to be the church, we're all full-time ministers. Ministry is not just reserved for pastors. It's not just reserved for church staffers or missionaries. We don't get to just say, like, hey, that's all their job to do, all the ministry, the spiritual stuff, and then I just stay over here and I do my job. Full-time ministry, like, is another oxymoron. Like, that's something that, like, pastors like me created to feel better about themselves, I guess. But listen, if First Peter says that the church is a kingdom of priests, that everyone who believes and follows Jesus comes into this kingdom, and it's not a kingdom just of normal citizens, but it is a kingdom of priests. That means everyone, everyone is called to represent God. Everyone is called to represent God in full-time ministry. So listen, you are not your job. That's not your identity. Isn't it ironic that when you meet someone for the first time, you know, you might meet them and you say, hey, what's your name? And they say, hey, I'm Joe and I'm a plumber. Hey, I am blank and I'm a blank. That we immediately conflate who we are with what our occupation is. Listen, you're a Christian who happens to be a plumber. You're not a Christian plumber. There's a difference. You're a Christian who happens to be a shipyard builder. You're a Christian who happens to be a teacher. You're a Christian who happens to be a nurse. You're a Christian who happens to be in the military. You're a Christian who happens to be a barista. So when you clock in, it is not just your job that you're clocking into. You are a full-time minister at your job. So you work differently than the rest of the world says that you're supposed to work. You see work as a way that you worship God because it matters to him. It matters to him. Believers, we work differently. We do business differently. We don't look at just like, hey, business is business. We've got our business rules over here. We've got our Bible rules over here. We keep this for Monday through Saturday, and we do Bible rules over here on Sunday. No, we see everything is one and same. It's all intertwined. There's no separation. There's no divide. We conduct ourselves differently, guys. Believers do not make a million dollars scamming people, even if they give 90% of it to the church. God is not honored in that. God's not honored in ripping people off and scamming people off, even if we give money. Also, that means that we don't cut corners on quality. We don't create, you know, this is the Christian version of something. Like, I don't even know what that means. Like, there's no such thing as Christian music. Melody cannot be inhabited by the Spirit of God. Only the musician can. There's no such thing as Christian plumbing. Because again, a toilet cannot be raised from death to life. But a plumber can. 
as believers, you shouldn't need to slap the Christian sticker on something to show that you believe in God in your workplace. It's done by treating your clients and your employees with honor, with honesty, with integrity, and with loving kindness and mercy. It's done by making something or offering a service that is awesome and beautiful and it helps life flourish here. You know, Martin Luther has this great quote uh, where he's kind of talking about this and it's coming on screen for you guys. It says, The Christian shoemaker does his duty not by putting little crosses on the shoes, but by making good shoes because God is interested in good craftsmanship. God likes shoes and good ones. Not for their own sake, but because the neighbor needs shoes. Guys, that's how we become a witness to those who are around us. That's how we take the kingdom of God into the marketplace. It's how you take the kingdom of God into the workplace. Not by us creating this like weird Christian subcultural ghetto where we have like our own like cartoons and our own music and our own books and literature and we wear these cheesy t-shirts with slogans and stuff on them. Man, that would be weird if we fell into doing something like that and people might start looking at us differently if we did that. But it's by doing everything we do with everything that we've got, giving it our best effort, not falling into living life the way that the world lives, not seeing everything as divided where, hey, I have my spiritual life over here and I have my work life over here. No, we see everything as one and the same. My spiritual life affects the way that I work. Which leads us to our last thing. We are fixing the brokenness of the world through our workplaces. I truly believe that. I don't have to convince you guys that the world is broken and that it's suffering and that life is hard and it gets very harsh sometimes. And you might be thinking right now, like, man, like work sucks, man. <laughs> like, I don't know if you get it. Like, it really sucks. Like, listen, work sucks because of sin. Work sucks because of brokenness in the world. But, like, thanks be to God, like, he has a plan to deal with it. And you're a part of that plan, and the church is part of that plan. We have a chance to be the greatest example for Christ in our workplaces, a minimum of 40 hours a week. You have the chance to not fall into the work habits that the world set for you and live in a completely different way by not complaining, by not gossiping about coworkers, by not being lazy. And guys, like, I get it. I know that's hard. I know that's hard. I caught myself today. I started complaining about something, and I was like, ugh, I'm literally about to preach about this at church tonight and tell everyone they shouldn't complain at work, and I just complained about work. Like, I get it. It's hard. But we have such an opportunity. Like, you guys know what it's like when you're at work. Like, that one person who just is complaining, and they just suck all the energy and the life out of the room, what happens? You get sucked into that, and you start complaining. And it doesn't help anyone discover life. It doesn't help anyone discover joy or goodness or any of those things. Like, you have an opportunity to stand out by not doing that. You have that available to you. You have a chance to represent Christ. It's so interesting. I went to the IMB once. The IMB stands for International Mission Board. The International Mission Board is like the largest um, organization that sends missionaries all throughout the world. And I had the chance to go to the IMB one time because I wanted to learn about how the church 
sends missionaries into countries where it is illegal to be a Christian. I was like, how do you go and like plant a church in a country where if you tell anyone that you're a Christian, like there's a very good chance you go to jail without any trial. Like, you, you know, you can't really put up a billboard outside that says, you know, come to church at nine o'clock in the morning. How do you guys do that? Like, how do, you, how do we begin a church movement in a place in an area like that? And what's so fascinating was what I learned is they do it through being great business people. Like, they're like, we go in and we start a business that helps that community get better. We help that community flourish. We make life better for everyone. We show the grace of God through work to people around us. And that's how we begin to win over the community. We either go in and we plan a business or we find somebody who is so good at what they do. They are so good at their trade that nobody even really cares that they're a believer because they're so good at it. And they're helping other people's life get better. And I'm telling you guys that your jobs, some of the places that you go to, that you work out every single day, are darker than any country where it is illegal to be a Christian. And some of you guys are the only missionaries who are going to get to go there. I don't get to go with you guys. I don't get to clock in with y'all for 40 hours a week. There are coworkers you have that I will never meet. But God doesn't need me. He doesn't need Pastor Grant. He doesn't need anybody else on staff to go there. He needs you to go there. He needs you to work in such a way. He needs you to speak life in such a way that people would know the grace and the mercy and the loving kindness and acceptance that Jesus showed you. He needs you to do that. And you can do that. So do the best job, guys. Don't do the bare minimum. Don't show up late and leave early. Like Win people over with kindness. No one has ever been won over to the church by being a slacker. No one has ever been won over by being a complainer or a liar or being a jerkwad at work. This is what you were made for, to worship God, and sometimes it's at work. And outside of that, like, you're good. Like, whatever you want to do, like, do it. But remember, your calling is to follow Christ in it. So if you're in here and you're like, okay, but, like, I still don't know, like, what my job's supposed to be. Like, I still don't know, like, what my career is supposed to be. Like, where am I supposed to go from here? Like, whatever it is that you're good at, do it. But honor God while you're doing it. Worship God through doing that. There's this amazing quote that I heard from this guy uh, who's a pastor. His name's Dave Stone. He says, your career is what you're paid for, but your calling is what you're made for. So your job may change over the years. Your source of income may change. I think about Jesus' own life. For 30 years, Jesus was, a, was a, essentially a construction worker. Like, that doesn't sound very spiritual, but he was the son of God. The majority of his life, that's what he spent doing. In three years of his life, he dedicated to being a missionary. Man, your work as worship can be so much more about whatever you think your occupation is. Any job can be a work that is worship. Guys, last week, we looked at the Bible's opening story. It's a story of humanity in a garden. And what's amazing is if you flip your Bibles all the way to the last pages, 
if you go to Revelation 21 and 22, there is another story about a garden. There's a story about a garden city that is coming down, a place where believers continue doing the life-giving things that they have done here. And they can continue to worship God. It's a place where all the pain and suffering of the world vanishes and all that's left is what gives life. So if you guys give your life to giving, life-giving things now, if you give your life to things that matter now, to things that have eternal importance now, your work will not vanish in the sands of history. I talk to people all the time. They're like, man, I just feel like my life's not going to matter because everyone's going to forget about me when I'm dead. People have asked me before, hey, what do you know about your great-grandfather? I say, not that much. They said, it wasn't even that long ago he was here and you don't know anything about him. How do you know that's not going to happen to you? I say, because the things that we do now, Jesus promises, carry over and carry on in eternity. That the things that we do to repair the brokenness in this life, the things that we do to bring healing and life flourishing in this life, do not end with our life, but they carry on. They carry on into the garden that we're returning to, the garden that God desires for us to be in with him. So here's what I want us to do, guys. I want us to pray. You guys just bow with me. Right now, would you just say, God, like, would you just show me what I need to repent from? God, my attitudes or beliefs or, or things I've said to other people at work, can you just show me what I need to repent from? Right now, would you just ask God, God, would you just show me what my next step is in making my work worship to you? Would you show me my next step, God, in stepping into the purpose that you made me for?